Let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to be reading from verse 14 down through verse number 21. And good night, the whole chapter is just so rich and filled with um, uh, what we're going to be preaching about both this morning and this evening. But uh, we're going to focus on 14 through 21 uh, right now, and then we'll look at some of the other verses in the chapter as we go throughout the day today. Beginning in verse 14, I'll read, and then we will read together the odd-numbered verses down through uh, the, I believe, the end of the chapter, uh, verse 21. It says in verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that hath had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Together, 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift as of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to begin a two-week series of sermons this morning entitled this, The Generosity of God's Grace. The Generosity of God's Grace. And uh, specifically this morning, we're going to look at this topic, grace living, grace living. Let's pray. Lord, as we turn our attention to a whole bunch of scripture verses, uh, both this morning and this evening, may you stir our hearts. And Lord, may you help us to have a better grasp and understanding of just how rich And free flowing your grace is and how that you want us to live underneath that grace, grow by that grace, give by that grace, live by that grace. And so, Lord, today, as we study the Bible, would you show us where changes need to be made in our lives? Lord, as I have um, journeyed over the last several years of my Christian life, you have showed me the importance of grace living. And so, Lord, uh, may that be made real and evident in some tangible ways to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I'm going to open with a strong statement this morning. And it's going to sort of be the theme, underlying theme of the entire day today. I'm going to begin the sermon this morning and finish it this evening. But here's the statement. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these four words down. On the top of your outline and write them in capital letters and, 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 and remember this statement. God's grace is radical. God's grace is radical. I didn't put it on the screen, but you're capable of writing things down that aren't on the screen. Some of you looked up there to see if it was up there. I caught you. So it's funny what you can see up here. I catch people sleeping. I catch people goofing off. Um, it used to be that when I was a kid, you passed notes in church. Now you just text in church. So uh, that's the way we send notes now. But God's grace is radical. Now, um, one might ask, and I think if we're going to preach on the topic of God's grace today, we've got to have a proper definition of biblical grace. Now, I have a number of resources I turn to, and I want a definition And some uh, are better than others in different circumstances. One of the places I'll go to is dictionary.com. And I went to dictionary.com and I looked up the word grace and I was very underwhelmed by its definition. Uh, 
And so instead, I turn to a theological definition of grace. And oh, my goodness, it is so much better. Uh, Put the next slide up there for me. Here's how grace is defined. Grace is the unmerited or undeserved favor of God given to those who are under condemnation. The unmerited or undeserved favor of God given to those who are under condemnation. Now, if you're new to church or uh, maybe you've just never taken the time to look at this, you might wonder what is the difference between grace and mercy. Interesting enough, in the Old Testament, God, Jehovah, Yahweh, he is called the God of mercy and truth. In John 1, Jesus comes on the scene and he's not called the God of mercy and truth. He's called the God of grace and truth. Grace and truth. So uh, the God of the Old Testament is mercy and truth. Uh, the, Jesus in the New Testament is grace and truth. So then what is mercy? We're not going to put the definition of mercy on the screen because we're not preaching about mercy this morning. But I'll go ahead and give it to you. It's this. Mercy means to pardon exonerate or dismiss the crime and its consequences of one who is guilty to pardon or exonerate or dismiss the crime and its consequences on one who is guilty. So a very simple way of putting this is that God's mercy is not getting something bad that you do deserve. All right. Now, that can be all kinds of things. But the worst thing that we all deserve is what? So go to hell. That's the worst thing we deserve for our sin. So when you uh, when God says, I am saving you or rescuing you from hell, that is the mercy of God. While God's grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. And we're going to look at this today. God's grace is given to us in all kinds of ways, in all sorts of ways. But the greatest thing that God's grace will one day give to us is the gift of eternal life in heaven. That is the greatest thing we'll get, but that is not where it begins. So let me illustrate the difference between mercy and truth this way. Let's say that Matthew disobeys me. Matthew is my nine-year-old son. Let's say Matthew disobeys me. And before I can punish him, he shows true, deep, sincere repentance over his action. And so because of his repentance, even though he disobeyed me, I choose not to punish him. All right, that's mercy. Matthew has done wrong. Matthew is sorry for what he's done. I could very easily punish him, even though he's sorry. But I look at him and say, yes, you broke the rule and you knew what the punishment was. But because I see your repentant heart, because I see you're turning away from that, I am going to forgive you. That would be mercy. Uh, now, uh, grace would be if I said to him right on the heels of that, hey, let's get in the car and go get an ice cream cone. That's grace. He deserved to be punished. But instead, I opened up my wallet and I took him to a a place and I bought him ice cream. I'm pouring out good on him when he doesn't deserve it. Now, that is a very feeble illustration uh, in regards to God's uh, 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 the, the examples of God's mercy toward his children in that he's forgiven us of hell. And it is a very feeble explanation of God's grace when he wants to pour on us the eternal riches of his uh, of heaven and the eternal riches of his wealth and his goodness. He wants to pour it all over us, especially coming from an eternal God who deeply implores and hates our sin. We are talking about an eternal God who either has uh, or or wants to forgive you and set you free of going to hell. We're talking about an eternal uh, God who created a plan to forgive your sin. This God not only wants to take away your sin punishment, but he wants to he also wants to open up the treasure trove of his eternal bank account and he wants to make you an heir with him. Oh yes, rich when you get to heaven. Oh yes, rich in God's grace when you get to heaven. But the riches of God's grace flow freely and are available to you the moment you become a child of God. The moment you put your faith and trust in Christ. God God wants to pour His treasure, His grace all over you. Now, I'm going to share a little bit of a, a testimony here in just a, a, a brief, uh, uh, just a brief paragraph. 
But I have been a, a Christian for 30 years. April 8th, 1988, I put my faith and trust in, in Jesus to save me. I was sitting on the front row on the auditorium's left side, the pastor's right side at the Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I was just a four year old boy. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. It'll be 31 years and about a, a, in, a, in just a handful of weeks here uh, that I, I, I put my faith in Jesus. I have attended church. My entire life, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. When there was a revival service, we were there. When there was missions conference, we were there. We didn't miss unless we were sick. I've shared that many times. I have heard thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons. I've grown up around church. In fact, I went to a Christian school, which is on the same property as the church. I've spent a good chunk of my life being on a church property, either five, six or seven days a week. And it has really been in the last handful of years. Years that I have changed my focus off of uh, me attempting to keep the rules of the Bible through my own strength and consuming myself instead with living my life by God's grace. Now, I know that statement might go in one ear and out the other for many of you, and it may fly right over the heads of many of others. But I hope that by the end of the day today, you can get begin to get an understanding of the difference of living a life that just focuses on the do's and don'ts of the Bible and a life that is instead focused on walking inside of the grace of God. When a Christian focuses on the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, what that Christian does is ignore God's grace and begin, that person begins to feel a tremendous sense of guilt when they cannot keep the rules of the Bible. When we instead focus on God's grace and we work to grow within that grace, God begins to take us on a wonderful journey. And as we grow closer to Him, we by default, please don't miss this, we by default begin to obey the rules of the Bible. You can either focus on the rules and fail and be disappointed in yourself, or you can focus on living a life underneath the, uh, the, the, the rain shower of God's grace and, and grow in that relationship with Him. And what you will find is that little at a time, you will begin to come in line with what God says you ought to do and ought not to do. You understand what I'm saying here? Many of you are sitting here looking at me like this is the first time you've ever heard this or are hearing this. This might be something that's new to you. And I got to tell you that this was something that God showed me. I was growing in the Lord and, and I turned around one day and I said, I noticed I'm focused a lot less on the rules of the Bible, but I'm uh, seemingly able to keep them a whole lot better. And God said to me, that's because you're growing in my grace. You're growing in my grace. I propose that too many Christians for too long have neglected the doctrine of growing in the grace of God in their daily living. We don't focus on it uh, uh, and we don't allow God's grace to radically change us. You cannot live a life of grace until you choose to live underneath the abundance of God's grace. I was talking to a Christian recently who is trying to give up cigarette smoking. And this Christian has been battling cigarette smoking for years. And this Christian was very discouraged because they can't seem to quit. Boy, this person comes to church uh, regularly, goes to his church regularly. And this person, uh, I believe, walks with God and reads the Bible, but can't seem to break the habit. And I looked at him and I said this, I said, you've got to quit focusing on your failure of quitting. And instead, you've got to begin focusing on your relationship with Jesus Christ. As you grow in your relationship with him, you'll get to a growth point with him one day where you'll turn around and the cigarettes will be gone. You can focus on the fact that you can't quit and be discouraged and walk through life with your head down. 
Or instead, while you're smoking the cigarette, you can say, God's grace is going to help me quit. I want to quit. I'm going to quit. And then turn around and walk with God. Read your Bible and pray and go to church and be faithful and focus on and study and understand and allow God's grace to begin to radically change you and transform you. And you will reach a level of growth where the cigarettes will no longer be a part of your life. Christian, I don't believe that's just true with smoking cigarettes. I believe that's true with uh, any habit of lying and anger problem. I believe that's true with any substance that you're putting in your body that you know uh, it harms the temple that God's given you. I believe that's true about any desire with sexual sins that you struggle with. God can give you freedom if you will focus instead on His grace and you'll grow in that grace. I will begin the sermon this morning and finish it up this evening. Let's focus on the first two points this morning and this evening. We'll look at the last two points as we consider this topic of the generosity of God's grace. And specifically today, let's look at grace living. Point number one, if you're taking notes, notice the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of of God's grace. We're going to jump right in here and give you two subpoints. Letter A, notice the gift of God's grace. So the abundance of God's grace, specifically to that abundance, let's look at the gift of God's grace. Are you in Romans 5 in your Bibles? Will you look down at verse number 5 with me? It says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given Unto us, maybe the greatest uh, uh, gift that God gave you in his grace was the Holy Ghost to inhabit you and help you to grow in him. Uh, Look down at verse number 15 of Romans five and look at the emphasis God puts on his grace being a gift. Look at verse 15, but not as the offense. So also is the free Gift For if through the offense of one, uh, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded, uh, abounded to many, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Look down at verse number 18 with me. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift, the free gift uh, came upon all men unto justification of life. Anyone who wants to argue that you've got to work your way to heaven, my goodness, Romans 5 makes it pretty clear that it is a gift, that it's free, that it can't be earned. It's not your works that get it. It's God's work on the cross that bought the gift and all you can do is just simply receive it. It is an abundant, uh, God's grace is abundant and it's abundant because one, it is free. It is a gift. There are no stipulations surrounding you getting it. You must simply open up your heart and receive it. Now, we all understand that to be true for salvation. But can I tell you that it goes beyond salvation. God wants to grow you in His grace. He doesn't charge you for it. He doesn't make you do anything but just show up and have an open and willing heart. And God will transform your life by giving you His gift of grace. Letter B, notice the generosity of God's grace. The generosity of God's grace. Now let's look back at some of these same verses, but let's put the emphasis in a little bit different place and notice how generous uh, the the writers of the Bible describe the grace of God. Look down at Romans 5.15 with me again. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if the, through the offense of one many be dead, much more uh, the grace of God and the gift of grace, the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, look here, hath abounded, abounded unto many. Now, one of the first weeks of the year when I, I, we were preaching about being rooted in Christ, we looked at that word abound and we said it means to be rich 
full and overflowing. It carries the idea of being overflowing and being rich. This is someone who has uh, 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 more cars than they can put in the garage. More money than the bank will let them keep there. This is somebody who has uh, more grace coming from God than they even know what to do with. The Bible says that God's grace, that it, it, that it abounds. Look down at verse number 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more uh, they which receive abundance of grace. God speaks of His grace being given abundantly. It's free. It's overflowing. Look down at verse number 20. Moreover, the law entered in the, uh, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Boy, there's a lot of sin in the world, isn't there? God's grace is richer and more abundant than all of the sin that a human being could ever commit. And all of the sin that humanity offers up collectively. Turning your Bibles over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. I love the way that Paul puts it to the church of Corinth here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Hey, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that God's grace is is flows freely. It's He's generous with it. You think of someone who just hands out money uh, uh, like it's candy. I was talking to a former church member yesterday who happened to be in town, and uh, I met up with him for lunch. Some of you may remember, remember him. His name is TJ. His wife's name is Panavin. They uh, attended a church for a short time. But TJ was in town and went out to lunch with him. And TJ was telling me that he knows of someone in, in, in his wife's country, Cambodia, that they just hand out twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to family like it's nothing. You know, say, oh, you need money? Here you go. Here's $20,000. Here's $20,000. And wow, I wish I had $20,000. I could just pass around, right? Uh, even if I had $20,000, I don't know that I'd just part with it like that. But that's how God is with His grace. We talk about how God is an infinite God. His grace is infinite. Listen, you cannot fall or climb higher than His grace can reach. Now, there are, let me just be clear here, there are limits to God's grace to one who is not saved. God will limit. We looked at last week being turned over to a reprobate mind. There are those who run God's patience out and they cross a line where God says, my grace is no longer available to you because you have blasphemed the Holy Ghost, another example in Scripture. But once you have been saved, God's grace is completely Infinite and limitless to the Christian. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says here, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. How many of you here this morning have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you? Can you raise your hand? Hold them up there for me for a minute. Don't put them down. Don't be shy. If your hand is up, the Bible says you're rich. You're rich. You may not be rich in your bank account, but you are rich in the grace of God because He's generous with it and it flows. And what's His is yours. And He gives it to you in great abundance. Number one, the abundance of God's grace. Jesus Christ ushered in the era of grace and fulfilled the era of the law. The New Testament writers would describe God's grace in very powerful terms. Second Corinthians 9, 8 says this. It says that His grace abounds. Ephesians 1, 7 describes the riches of His grace. First Peter 4, 10 talks about manifold grace. Ephesians 2, 7 describes it as the exceeding riches of His grace. Second Corinthians 4, 15, Paul calls it abundant grace. And then in First Timothy 4 or 114, Paul describes it this way, exceeding abundant grace. Our God is a God of abundant and generous grace. And it is a gift that is free to those who are saved. Number two, notice our access because of God's grace. Our access because of God's grace. Now, um, once you receive the grace of God and humble your heart and show that you're willing to put away uh, your stubborn unbelief in yourself and turn to Jesus as your only Savior, uh, boy, the um, you gain access to it. Your name is added to the heavenly bank account. You're given a, a charge card with an unlimited amount. Go back to Romans chapter 5 with me and look at verse 2. 
And I would recommend you hold put a marker in Romans 5 when we turn to the passages because we'll come back to it throughout the message. Romans chapter 5, verse 2, I'm going to begin reading. It says, by whom also, if you're there, can you read the next three words with me? We have access. Again, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So because of this grace, the Bible says we have access. Let me give you three areas where we have access this morning because of God's grace or three uh, three categories here. Letter A, notice access to salvation, access to. To salvation. Now, let's look at, uh, we, we looked at the second half of Romans 5.15, but let's focus more on the first half of it here. Look back at Romans 5.15 with me. It says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, who's that speaking of? Speaking of Adam. In fact, his name's mentioned earlier in the chapter. For if by the offense of one, that's Adam. And what was Adam's offense? He ate the fruit. He disobeyed God. He brought sin on the whole world. He brought a sin curse or a condemnation on all of humanity. If you're here today, you were born with the desire to sin. Why? Because Adam sinned and he is the father and Eve, his wife, who is also a sinner. They are the father and mother of all living. For if through the offense of one, verse 15 says, many be dead, much more the grace of God. And the gift by grace, which is uh, by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abound unto many. Okay, now these aren't going to be on the screen, but let me give you sort of the gospel out of Romans 5.15 and talk about what salvation is. All right. First of all, below letter A, notice sin's curse, sin's curse. Look back at uh, verse 15 there and notice it says, for if through the offense of one, the offense, notice that word offense, for if through the offense of one. You know what sin is? It's an offense to God. God is offended by sin. Sin, in essence, is looking at God and in and, and his law and saying, I'm going to choose the opposite. And we all do it and we've all done it. I have met some people in my life who were so arrogant and cocky as to believe they had never sinned. I think of the man that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and knowing his mentality, his thought process said, you've got to keep the law. And the man said, I've done this from my youth up. And what did Jesus say? He said, go sell all that you have and come and follow me. Jesus penned him. The man maybe thought he was moral for not having told a lie, although he probably had, or not having coveted or committed adultery. But what he had done is fall in love with himself and his own money. And God said, see, you are a sinner. God was making the point to this man. You might think you're moral in your own eyes, but truthfully, your morality doesn't hold up to the test when it showed how much you love money more than God. The truth is here today, everybody's a sinner. And the big mistake that our society has made, our culture has made, is that the large majority of folks believe that because they are a good person, they're going to get into heaven. There isn't ever going to be a balance in heaven where your good and bad are weighed Side by side. It's just not how it works. We all can seem to grasp that it doesn't work that way in a court of law here. You commit murder, the judge doesn't care about the good you've done in your life. He just cares about that murder. He's not there to judge you for the good. He's there to judge you for the crime. When we get to heaven one day and we stand before God the judge, he's not going to look at the good of your life. He's going to look at the sin crimes. And we all have them in great abundance. In fact, the Bible says where sin did abound. You know what that means? We are rich, full, and overflowing in sin. It's all of us. Letter, or below that, notice sin's consequences. 
sin's consequences. Look back there. It says, for if through the offense of one, many be dead. Now, I want to kind of take you on an intellectual journey on the express train. Okay, so you got to put your thinking cap on and you got to really focus. You remember what God told Adam and Eve before they ate the fruit, what their punishment was? He said, the day that you eat that fruit, the day ye shall surely die. Is God a liar? Yes or no? Did their bodies die the day they ate that fruit? No, in fact, the Bible says Adam lived to be 930 years old. So what's going on here? God told Adam the day he ate that fruit, he would die. Now, he didn't die in body, but that word death means separation. He was separated eternally from God because of his sin. And Adam had to make a choice to heal that death by choosing Christ. We'll get to that more in a minute. But the death mentioned here in uh, Romans 5, 15, that talks about through the offense of one, many be dead. This is not talking about your body dying and going to a grave. This is talking about your soul being separated from God for eternity. Now, I could put my finger in your face and I could be as ungracious as possible and be unkind as possible and tell you this, but instead I'm just going to turn the finger around and put it in my face. Here's the truth. Because Richard Lejeune, this guy right here, is a sinner. Richard Lejeune deserves to die and go to hell. And so do you. Now, you may not like that, but that just shows you how much God hates your sin. I'm glad that the verse does not end right there. For if through the offense of one many be dead, look at the next word. Much more, much more, the grace of God. Amen! Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, the gift of eternal life, which is by one man, Jesus Christ. What is sin's cure? Sin's cure is Jesus Christ who came and suffered in our place. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 with me here. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, that precious blood of Jesus. Look here, the forgiveness of sins. I love the last part of this verse, according to the riches of his grace. When God saved me, he didn't just remove me from having to go to hell. He set my feet on a path that would one day land in the beauties of an eternal and perfect heaven. You know what that is? That's sin's cure. That's the forgiveness of sin. Listen, you may be you may be here today and you may be a sinner that has not been redeemed. You've not been forgiven. Forgiveness is very simple. Forgiveness is taking all of the trust off of your own belief system and your own works and putting your trust in Jesus Christ. The fact that he came to earth, he was God on earth, he lived a perfect life, he died uh, for your sins on the cross, that he might pay the price for your sin. He died so that you don't have to die. He went to the grave three days later he stood up and beat your death in his death he beat your hell and in his resurrection he offers you heaven and he says to you I am the cure of sin and it is my grace that will save you Uh, and notice here lastly uh, below letter A access to salvation notice your choice we've looked at sin's curse sin's consequences sin's cure now it comes down to your choice turn over to Ephesians 2 verse 7 now, we all know 8 and 9, those of you that go here enough, boy, I sure quoted a lot. It's quoted, used a lot by Christians all over. But look at verse 7. I love the way verse 7 sets it up. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so it is God's grace that saves us. You must choose. Look back at verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. 
through faith. You must exercise your faith in God's grace. You must choose to do that. I love illustrating these verses and the concept of salvation this way. I want you to imagine that you were born with a puzzle put in front of you that would be in front of you for the rest of your life. This is the world's easiest puzzle in one hand, the world's toughest puzzle in another hand. Here's the puzzle. The puzzle only has two pieces. Now, how many of you here have ever gotten together with family and put together a 250, 500, or 1,000 piece puzzle? Would you hold your hand up? I love doing puzzles. Well, I don't really love doing puzzles. My family loves doing puzzles and they make me do it, okay? Um, when I was little, uh, my kids were little rather, we get 24, 36, 50 piece, 100 piece puzzles as they got older. And, and it was neat watching them develop that and put that together. Um, what we had to learn to do, or, or, or rather, what. what, what I'm getting off. Uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Let me get back on, on point here. The way this puzzle works with God, there's two pieces to it. The first piece is God's grace. Here's the neat part about God's grace. It already came pre-installed on your puzzle. So now there's two piece puzzles down to a one piece puzzle. And that piece is glued down and it can't come up. God's grace is there. It's available freely to all. Uh, the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not predestine some people to go to heaven and the rest to go to hell. No, God wants everybody to go to heaven. And so God's grace is freely available to everybody. It's there. It's for you. It's ready. So God's grace is there. And then you have to decide whether or not you want to take the puzzle piece of faith and interlock it in God's grace. Now, it's easy because the Bible says a child can do it. You take your faith and you lay it in God's grace. You interlock it in God's grace. The puzzle's complete and you go to heaven. However, what a lot of people like to do, and this is what makes it tough, is they like to take their, their works or their religion and slide that on the puzzle. And it just doesn't fit. And then you die without that puzzle complete. And God says, I'm sorry, you didn't take advantage of my grace. I can't let you into my heaven. And so the question is posed to each and every individual here today. Have you placed your faith, your unwavering, trusting faith in Jesus Christ as God dying on the cross and rising from the dead for you? You must make that choice. God's grace gives us access, the access of God's grace. Well, what access does it give us? Well, it provides us to salvation, a home in heaven, forgiveness of sin. Let her be noticed, access to sanctification, access to sanctification. Turn with me over to first Peter chapter five and verse number 10. First Peter chapter five, verse 10. You come here and you say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I've done that. And that was a long time ago. I appreciate you preaching on salvation for the lost, but I need something to leave here uh, to help me today, Pastor, to be a, a better Christian. Well, I hope that letters B and C will really challenge you. Before we read verses 5 and 10, let me just quickly define sanctification for you. And sanctification is the process of becoming like Jesus. Just that simple. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Becoming like Jesus? Having our language sound like the way Jesus would talk? Having our attitudes and our actions and our, and our demeanor please the Lord? Isn't that great? Wouldn't you, what, don't you want that? Sanctification in theory sounds awesome. Sanctific, the sanctification process is tough. It is tough because you will find out real quick where you're falling short. And God's, gonna, God's going to really hammer you where you fall short to try to get you to come around. And, and he does that. Uh, he does it gently. He does it graciously. But God wants us to grow and be sanctified through his grace. Look at verse 10 of 1 Peter 5. But the grace, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus... After that, ye have suffered a while, make you mature or perfect or complete. Establish, strengthen, settle you. Now, there are some words in the Bible. When you see them, you must understand uh, uh, what they mean. That word perfect there does not mean that God's going to make you sinless. The truth is, in the last seven days, Pastor Lejeune has sinned plenty. Now, I'm not going to tell you what all my sins were, okay? But uh, but um, I've not been perfect. 
in the last seven days. Does anybody here want to raise their hand and say, Pastor Lejeune, I beat you. Over the last seven days, I didn't commit a single sin. I'll have you preach next Sunday if that's the case. I bet we've all done something wrong probably at some point today. Had a thought that wasn't just right or acted in a proud moment or had a proud thought. Um, Here's what I was getting at in the introduction. We can focus on the do's and don'ts of the Bible and beat ourselves up for falling short. Instead, we can choose to fall in love with Jesus Christ and allow his grace to transform us. Romans 12.1 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that transformation happen? Do I transform myself? God's grace transforms me. And to someone here that says, Pastor, I, I just am uncomfortable with you preaching this. I would just ask you this question. What are the two greatest commandments in the Bible? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the Bible, Jesus said this. He said, on these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. If you can learn to love me, then you will by default keep the laws of the prophets. You will by default obey that which was given in the Old Testament. God's grace brings your living up to a standard that far exceeds that of the Old Testament. It begins to transform you. It begins to change you. It begins to bring you into the image of Jesus Christ. God wants to sanctify you, but He doesn't want you to get caught up on the thou shalt this and the thou shalt not this. Though while you ought to know what the rules of the Bible are and work to obey them and keep them, we'll focus more on that tonight. What you ought to do is focus on God's grace and He will help you to keep those uh, uh, keep, keep, the, keep the rules of the Bible. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. One book over to the right there. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. If I'm not mistaken, uh, it's the last verse in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in laws. Is that what it says? Grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if I understand this right, the more I know Jesus and the more that Jesus knows me, the more I will grow in God's grace. And the more he will sanctify me. You know, this whole the point of this sermon, the point of the the point I'm trying to make within this thought here is very simple. You can either try to make yourself a better Christian by self-improvement. Can I tell you that's what I've done for most of my Christian life? Is I need to, I need to live by a certain code of conduct so that I please the preacher, I please my wife, I honor my kids, I can raise a family, right? All my motives were pure, But my emphasis was on training my flesh to do what was right. And and I'm going to tell you this. I was even trying to get my flesh to do right so that God would be pleased with me. We don't earn God's love, folks. God's love is free. God loves you regardless of how you behave. When we instead focus on just Loving God, loving our neighbor. We focus on the grace of God and we not only receive it, but we give it. We'll get into that more tonight. Boy, God's grace radically begins to transform us. Let me give you one more thought this morning and we'll, we'll wrap it up and we'll finish the sermon this evening. Let her see notice access to supplication. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 16, if you're in first or second, Peter, be a few books to the left there. Hebrews chapter four. Before I read the verse, let me just say. There has been a great struggle of mine throughout my Christian life, and that is having a consistent prayer life. 
Has anybody else here ever struggled with having a consistent prayer life? Something I've battled for many years of my Christian life. I'm in a spot now as a pastor where if I don't pray, I'm not going to survive. I'm just not going to make it. Um, So I pray by default. I don't have a choice. But before I was a pastor, I really struggled with having a consistent prayer life. I'd have seasons in my life that were good, and then I'd drop off, and then it'd get back and be good, and it'd drop off. I'm going to tell you why I struggled with that, and your, your reason may be different, and, and this may not be the whole reason why I struggled. I believe the main reason why I struggled with a consistent prayer life is there were times in my life where I just felt like God was really upset with me, and He didn't want to talk to me. Just, I'm just being honest. That's how I felt. I felt like I behaved in a certain way or I did this or I didn't do that. And God's put out with me. So if I go to him and pray, he's probably going to feel sort of impatient in my direction. Hebrews 4.16 kind of answers that. It says that, no, God doesn't shun us because we have committed sin. As long as we've confessed that sin, 1 John 1.9 He's faithful and just. He forgives us. Look at Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, that word supplication means to come and pray on behalf of others. That's what it means. How many dads in the room this morning, whether your kids are little or, or older? Would you raise your hand for me, dads? Raise your hands for me. If you're dad, raise your hand for me. You know who you need to supplicate for? Your wife and children. How many moms in the room today? Raise your hand, ladies, if your mom. God's giving you a child. You know who you need to supplicate for? Those children. Every day. How many of you here um, are... Uh, an employee, you are you are an empl- not an employer. You work for somebody. Would you raise your hand if you work for somebody? You know what you need to do, especially the ones that work here. You need to pray for your boss. <laughs> not pray that God kills him. <laughs> you need to pray for him. How many employers we have here today? You you employ people. Would you raise your hand if you're an employer? You pray for your employees. You supplicate. God has an eternal bank account of grace. An unlimited supply. And He wants to pour it out on those that you go to Him and pray for. And if you don't pray, why should He? Why would He? Beyond just saving somebody. Christian, are you today living beneath some rigorous set of rules? Worried about being a straight-laced Christian that has all your ducks in a row? Boy, tonight we're going to look at Romans 6 that talks about not abusing the grace of God. And so we'll get into that tonight. But boy, this morning, are you living... Are you just trying to live by the law of the Bible or are you trying to live under the grace of the Bible? I hope that you've been encouraged today. If you're here this morning and you've not put your faith in Jesus to save you, what are you waiting for? It's a free gift. Over and over and over again, we read in Romans 5, it's a free gift. It's a gift of grace. I encourage you today to not just live the Christian life any certain way. I would encourage you to live it by grace. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. I just showed you from Romans 5 and Ephesians 2. That you're guilty of sin and that God hates your sin. And if you don't get it forgiven. And you die in that sin, he's going to send you to hell. God is not willing that you should perish. God wants you to come to a point of repentance. With your head bowed and eyes closed, let me talk about that word repentance just for a moment. 
That word repentance means to change your mind. You got to quit trusting some phony set of religious rituals. Some phony religious practice like being baptized as a baby. Or even being baptized in a Baptist church. None of those things save you. None of those things. You've got to change your mind and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. It isn't good enough that he died for your neighbor. He died for the people on the other side of the world. My friend, he died for you. And you must make a conscious choice to choose him. God has opened up heaven and he's offering you a free ticket there. But unless you can extend your faith, he's not going to save you. He's not going to rescue you. He's not going to show his grace to you. As a young boy, I bowed my head and I prayed a very simple prayer. I prayed and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. I know you died for me. Will you come in my heart, take my sins away? When I called on him and put my faith in him, the Bible says that because I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart, that I was saved, I was rescued. I would like to offer you a chance to do the same thing today. If you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can do that right there where you're sitting in your pew. All you've got to do is pray a very simple prayer and mean it from your heart. If you've not done this, just pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, right there in your pew under your breath, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve death and hell for my sin. Thank you so much for coming and dying on the cross and suffering for my sin. I believe in you and your resurrection as my way to heaven. Rescue my soul. Forgive my sins. Give me your grace. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd like to rejoice with you. I don't want to embarrass you. I won't call your name out, but I'd like to rejoice with you. If you prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up? First time you ever prayed that prayer in your life, would you slip your hand up? Said, I just put my faith and trust in Jesus to save me. If you made that decision, I'd like to talk with you after church and just encourage you in those next steps of, of growth in the Lord. How many here today say, Pastor... Most of my Christian life, it maybe even today, I have, been, I have been focusing on keeping the rules of the Bible instead of focusing on God's grace and letting Him change me. Pa- Pastor, pray for me that God will take me on a grace journey so that I can live generously beneath the grace of God. Here's my hand, Pastor. Would you pray for me? Pray for me, Pastor, that I will live below the grace of God. I will live in His grace. God's grace can change me. Lord, I do pray you move in our midst during this time of invitation as we open the altar and folks are invited to come pray. Lord, may decisions be made that alter hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The piano is playing.